And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast on a Thursday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. The World Wide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. God, it was a hell of a lot easier just saying OHL. But it's a different sponsor this week, and they're back at Mayakoba. And this guy that uh, is sitting next to me here on the screen, for those watching on video, if you're not and you're listening via audio, He's a teacher that, uh, well, he's got four players in the field this week, and he joins me from Las Vegas, Jeff Smith. How you doing, buddy? Hey, great to see you, Travis. So I got to tee this up. You know, a year ago, OHL in Mayakoba, one of your students, Victor Hovland, comes into the last hole and drains a long putt to defeat another one of your students, Aaron Wise, how do you handle that? Hovland wins. Wise gets second. Dramatic fashion. You're the coach of both of them. You got to be like, gee, many Christmas. This is amazing. You know, it, it was wild. Um, obviously, I've never experienced that before. And I, I, I very rarely watch golf on TV. Um, but I haven't. I was not going to miss that one because I knew mm-hmm. they were both near the top of the leaderboard. So I was watching it and my phone was blowing up at the same time. Everybody <laughs> was texting me like, Oh, wow. You got a guaranteed win. Cause I think Aaron was, you know, in the clubhouse with the lead and, and Victor was tied on the last hole. And, and, uh, he had a, I think he had about an eight to 10 footer for birdie. So I don't know. It was, it was weird. I, it was great to see them both play well. I was excited for both of them. And, um, you know, I knew Victor was going to have to make a putt to, to win it there and he did it. So, you know, congrats to him. And I think, I think it's Aaron still a little bit salty today over that putt. So, <laughs> Uh, he kind of reminds me of that all the time. <laughs> yeah, Hovland finished 20 under. Wise finished 19. So you went one, two, and you also had uh, 17th as well, by the way, Patrick Rogers. <laughs> yeah, so you had three in the top 10 or top 20. Those three are in the field. Now you had a fourth, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, Davis Riley, who's in Bermuda. So your guys are, uh, you know, they like they like this Bermuda Mexico, right? Fall series. All the guys here are playing well um, as they run into this. So I'm curious before we break down each one of these players, because we're going to kind of go deep dive here on each one. What, uh, what's your week been like? I know you've been taking a few days off. Are you still getting texts like, Hey man, look at this video. Look at this swing, this course, this wedge. Like do you, how much, how much activity has taken place over the last few days? (laughs) You know, not as much this week. Uh, this this course is a, a place where most of these guys are all familiar with. They love to play there. Um, I don't know. It's almost like a vacation spot when you get to go play a tournament there. So, you know, there, uh, Victor actually came to – so my new teaching base is in Memphis, Tennessee, at a place called Spring Creek Ranch. Okay. And Victor came to see me for two days before heading over to uh, to Mexico. So, I better not be getting very many text messages from him. Uh, he was pretty dialed in and ready to go. And so uh, Aaron had a couple of weeks off before heading over to Mexico. So we were doing a lot of work, you know, back and forth via, you know, text messages and stuff like that before heading over. And then obviously uh, Patrick is in great form, you know, coming off a uh, top 10 at Safeway and then a top, you know, top the fourth last week at, in Bermuda. So the games, the guys' games are all pretty, you know, pretty much dialed in. So, you know, I, I might get, just get to sit back and watch this week. <laughs> you might just take the <laughs> afternoon off, pour yourself a glass of wine, and <laughs> off you go, right? Well, let's let's talk about Victor first. I mean, you know, Victor is just a a breath of fresh air. Um, 
you know, I actually met Victor right after he won the U S amateur, um, in 2018. And I played in the pro-am the API and he hadn't turned pro yet. And I got matched up, up with Victor and got to play 18 holes with him, get to know him. And I mean, he's just as nice a guy in person as you would think he is, right? The guy's always got a smile on his face and he's just, he's just a breath of fresh air. And it's just co- so cool to see the success that he's having and the best is ahead, as you can see for this guy. And it's gotta be fun coaching a player like this, who is such an elite ball striker. Can you give the, can you give the listeners an idea just how elite a Victor Hovland is with the driver in his hand, the irons. Cause we watch him on TV and it's like fairway green, fairway green, eight feet over, over, over again. Him and Morikawa for crying out loud shot 59 best ball at the Ryder cup. I mean, insane ball striking. Give us an idea just how elite it is. You, you know, I, I, for the time I've worked with him, I knew he was special and, you know, obviously I've been on the course with him you know, dozens and dozens of times and got to see it up close a lot and practice and practice rounds. But, um, the Ryder cup was pretty eye opening to me. Mm. Um, the format was really cool. You know, the, the days leading up to, you know, the tournament when the tournament was going to begin getting to getting to play with guys like Rory and, you know, all these different pairings in the practice rounds. And you really stood there and just kind of stacked up and watched the quality of his shots versus the absolute, you know, best, best players in the world, you know, mm. John Roms and the Rory's and the Sergio's and, and you just saw like, there was no difference. Like his, the, the quality of his strike, the the strength of his ball flight, how straight he hits it, uh, how aggressive he can play, especially off the tee because of that. Um, it's just, it's just an absolute weapon. Um, there's a lot of times where guys are thinking about dropping back to three wood because the whole narrows are hitting an iron and he's just, you know, he's on go with the driver because he hits it so straight. So, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly where we were, but it's kind of a funny story. I, I like to pair my guys up in practice rounds to save me from walking, you know, 36 holes a day in practice rounds. So I try to get them all to play together. <laughs> a veteran move. Yeah. So I think we might've been in, I think it was in Vegas, not too, not too long ago. And uh, he was playing with Aaron and, and one other player and trying to remember who it was. And, slips my mind but you know uh victor's just piping it on every hole you know and then these guys are all hitting the ball great but i remember this other player going man i really need to go to the rose <laughs> yeah don't worry about it i feel that same way every time i play with victor so <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> and Aaron's a good ball striker by the way oh you know, yeah I mean- <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's just that's just a funny story you know his his ball striking prowess is well known out there. And, yeah. you know, he, you know, we've been able to add some distance to the tee off the tee. Um, and it's made, you know, it's made a huge impact in terms of his strokes gained off the tee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looks bigger too, right? He's, he's definitely, he's, he's more cut. He's stronger, isn't he? Yeah. He, you know, he hired a trainer this past season. That was another thing I sort of nudged him uh, or advised him to do uh, a guy named Andrew Cummings, who works with a lot of great players out on tour. Yeah. Um, and they've really, you know, gotten after it both uh, weeks on the road and then having a program for at home. And, you know, I think Victor, you know, is finally seeing the benefit of those sort of those strength gains and, you know, also just how comfortable he is in his swing. You, mm-hmm. you can go at it harder when you, when you know where the ball is going. 
Yeah. You said the word aggressive, like how aggressive and weapon, right. That, that kind of sticks out. And it, it reminds me of a story of his, I was talking with his college coach, Alan Bratton, who's been on the podcast. I spent some time with him at the college showcase event that I did for golf channel. And we were walking and I asked him about Victor and driving the ball. And he caddied for him when he won the U S amateur. And he said, Travis, he goes, there were times during that week where there were tough conditions. Guys were hitting three woods, irons off a tee consistently. And Victor's just grabbing the driver out and just piping it right down the middle of the fairway. Like <laughs> he goes, it was the most impressive stretch of driving I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, kids are hitting little just stinger trap three irons out there. And Victor's like, give me that driver. And just right down the middle. You know, he goes, it was, it was amazing. And I mean, it is the weapon, right? I mean, that's kind of, it's the modern game right now. I mean, you got to have distance, but you, you know, and we know the longer you hit it, the more likely you are to miss a fairway and, and what that means going offline. Like we get that. These guys aren't that inaccurate. I mean, Victor is not exactly spraying it all over the place. Bryson DeChambeau is not spraying it all over the place. I mean, these guys are pretty damn accurate too, right? I mean, they, you add 10, 15 yards on the Victor Hovland's ball. I mean, it's all right. He misses one more fairway maybe. Yeah. I mean, statistically he's driving it about the same as he did before the speed gains. And so, there you, go. you know, a year ago he was playing at about 170 to 71 ball speed in competition. And uh, he's routinely at 178 to 180 ball speed now. So he's picked up a significant amount of distance and he really, he really doesn't miss many more fairways than he, okay. than he did before. Let's talk about a short game. Cause you guys have done some work on that. Uh, Pete Cowan doesn't work with Victor Hovland on a short game. Jeff Smith does as <laughs> we were talking off there. Sometimes <laughs> you hear some weird names working with people, but Jeff works on everything with Vic. And you guys, have, you guys have made some substantial changes really over the last year in the way Victor go as a, goes about his technique in particular, the club face lead wrist condition. Um, you know, Victor's a, you look at him, he's a flex lead wrist player, shaft lean, he's thumping it, he's compressing it. That can have its downside in short game. Walk the viewers through what you changed in the way Victor is going about just in general, I know there's all kinds of different shots, but just in general, kind of the stock pitch shot around the green. Yeah. So like if you're familiar with Victor's swing, you know, most of the time, most players in their short game are going to mimic what they do in their full swing. And, and even in their putting, it kind of mimics their full swing. And so, you know, Victor's known for a lot of lead wrist flexion or bowing arching of his wrist, if you will, in the course of his backswing. And that is a, a weapon as it relates to hitting the ball far and, and straight and fast and moving the ball fast, but it makes it a hindrance a little bit when you're trying to slow the ball down, which is what we're doing around the green. So, um, you know, a lot of people have commented on TV about how he gets the club face shut in the backswing. And that's not really the thing that causes the problem um, in the short game. It's when you flex your lead wrist so much uh, in the backswing, not only does the face shut, if you will, but it moves the club head way low into the inside of the hands. So it's sort of under plane, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is once you make that move and the club head is low and inside of the hands, it changes where the bottom of the arc is. That low point moves back 
and it makes the club approach very sort of shallow and from the inside. The problem with that is to 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 not hit behind the golf ball. The golfer then starts to sort of thrust the handle more forward through the strike to to move the low point forward, and that's where all the loft and bounce comes off the club. Um, you know, Victor was fine hitting a lot of low bump and run shots with his old technique. But the problem was he couldn't elevate the ball very much and he couldn't spin it at all. He only had like fastballs coming out in a short game and he was really poor from the rough. Mm. Um, you can't be coming in super shallow and from the inside with not much loss on the club to play at all from the rough or from any kind of a short sided scenario. So all I've tried to do over the last year is essentially minimize a little bit of the change in wrist flexion and to try to keep it a little bit more neutral. Um, I don't have him trying to twist the face open or anything like that. It's just simply trying to slow down the rate of wrist flexion through the course of his backswing. And to, you know, to put it in layman's terms, it keeps the club a little bit more on plane in the backswing. Uh, it keeps it a little bit more on plane on the downswing and it allows him to get his wrist into extension quicker into the follow through, which allows him to present loss to the ball and sort of the bounce to the ground and, and add some speed at the bottom where he can create a little bit more friction and a little bit more spin. So I guess we've made it to where he can hit the higher, softer shots, you know, more on command. And yeah. he, he's changed. I mean, his talent is unbelievable because I've never seen anyone change their short game as fast as he did. And, and also, do it as well. Like he's got some serious shots that he can hit now that a lot of my tour players can't even hit. Mm -hmm. I mean, he can hit some serious high floaty spinning shots, um, you know, around the greens, he can play pretty well from the rough now. And now it's just a matter of building confidence with that technique and being able to take on the most challenging shots in the biggest moments. And I don't think he has that yet. You know, if you watch a guy like JT, He's going to, if, if he has to hit a flop shot on the 72nd hole to win the tournament, he's going to do it. Whereas, you know, Victor is still probably going to try to play it lower, play the safer, safer shot. He doesn't really trust all those exotic shots yet, but yeah. that, that's, that's coming. So would you say from a technique standpoint, as your, his coach, like the, the, the techniques are in, he knows them, he's quantified them, he knows what they mean in the way of trajectory and spin. Now it's just continuing to build that confidence and implement them in, in the right situations, no matter what day it is early Thursday, late Sunday, this is the shot at hand, have the confidence and hit it. And that's the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah. hundred percent. Like you, you, you throw him on a golf course this fall, that's been overseeded. He's going to rip spinners all over the place without mm -hmm. even thinking about it. But then you take him somewhere where it's super grainy, like TBC Summerlin. Now you got to think about some of these shots mm -hmm. um, and, and how to play them. And I think just continuing to develop that confidence in all those different on those different surfaces and in those bigger moments, because let's be honest, he's a guy that's going to be in contention a lot. Yeah, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be in those moments a lot. So he's going to in the back of his mind, he's going to be thinking, I don't really want to throw away a shot here, take myself out of the tournament. And it's just me, you know, I challenged him a couple of months ago. I was like, dude, change the narrative around your short game. Mm -hmm. People remember you telling them that your short game sucked, <laughs> like go out and prove that it doesn't suck anymore. Yeah. You know, use it as a weapon. 
Do you feel like you are constantly overshooting greens or coming up short because you choose the wrong club? Well, if that's the case, today is your lucky day because I'm proud to announce my brand new partnership with the boys over at Pinned Golf. Their brand new Ace Rangefinder is amazing and it's only $199. I've been using it for a couple of weeks now and I was blown away with the quality. It has a slope technology, pin locked vibration technology. So you know exactly when you are locked onto your target tour lever accuracy. And best of all, it is powered by a USB charge. So you can forget about those little batteries. Every other range finder makes you buy one 45 minute charge lasts you 50 plus rounds. I love it. Our friends over at pin golf are hooking up all of our listeners with $25 off and free shipping. When you use code stripe show, that's code stripe show. I'm telling you, for $175, you simply cannot beat the Ace Rangefinder. Head out over to pingolf.com and get yourself the Ace and get dialed in. Well, this past Palom ball can sit up a little bit, right? In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, we, now we know why he won there. Now, um, you know, so I, I'm sure he feels comfortable with that because that past Palom down there in Mexico, it'll, you know, it'll sit up nice. Where, like you said, yeah. Summerlin. Here, right out my window here in Florida, man. That ball don't sit up quite as nice. You know, you got that grain going and it can sit down quickly. Yeah, I know about yeah. that. How, how often, you're out there on tour a lot. How much is that being worked on with players? Just that, the, you know, the difference between that full swing, flex lead wrist. I mean, DJ, you know, like there's others that have this. Kepka. Mm-hmm. Um how much of it just in general out there, like, man, I got to change a little bit of that lead wrist face dynamic on this shot relative to my full swing. Is that a common thing? Yeah. Um, you know, so much so that, you know, we, we break it down the technique and practice, mm-hmm. you know, we get in a block practice setting and we isolate those movement patterns and we try to ingrain that, but then we go out and play practice rounds and we have a focus during the practice rounds of getting balls up and down. You know, we'll, we'll simulate different pin locations and, and do games and competitions during the practice rounds that, you know, are really putting stress on his short game where he has to, he still gets an opportunity to think about his technique, but he also has to execute a shot. So yeah. uh, getting more of those reps um, will eventually sort of bleed into competition where he's not thinking about it anymore. I think he's still maybe in the phase where he has to think about it a little bit under the gun. Yeah. So, you know, again, he's not there yet. Yeah. Let's talk about your other guy here. Well, one of your other guys, Aaron Wise, finished second here last year. We talked about to uh, Victor Hovland, went to Oregon. Uh, Vic's got two wins. Aaron's got the one when he was the rookie of year back in 18, right? 2018? Correct. Yeah. And he's a guy, I've been kind of touting Aaron here this fall, like on the podcast, and I've been pushing him out there and playing him, and he's he's been doing very well for me. You look at him in the fall series here. He was 26 at Sanderson, eighth at the Shriners, fifth at the CJ cup. Aaron's a good ball striker, good driver of the ball, good iron player, good short game around the green, his putter historically, and particularly last year kind of held him back a little bit, but I got to tell you, I, I watch him in the last five events here coming into the fall series. Um, well, two events coming into the fall series and now another three. And I see a big improvement with his putting. Like he's starting to make putts. And if Aaron wise makes putts, he's going to win. 
right? Yeah. And and I, I put him on the short list here again this week as I did at the CJ Cup. What's happening here, Jeff? Because Aaron Wise looks like a different guy to me on the greens. Yeah, you know, he, he's always been, even going back to high school or college days, a very streaky kind of putter. Um, seemed like when he had it going, he'd make a lot of birdies and he would win. You know, he's won a lot at, at every single level. And, uh, you know, as it relates to his PGA Tour career, um, man, he has worked really hard on his golf swing mm-hmm. and his ball striking. And he's improved steadily from his rookie of the year uh, campaign to, to, to this season to where he's the best he's ever been tee to green. And uh, last year, re- the putter really, really held him back. You know, he went through some kind of dark times there, um, just searching, trying different things, um, you know, trying to find an answer. And, um, you know, he hired a guy named Steven Sweeney, who, who's based in Jupiter, who works with a lot of guys out on tour. And, you know, Steven did some really, really nice work with Aaron, just helping him sort of understand, you know, his current technique, um, how it works, um, if they was going to go in any different direction, what to be cautious of or pitfalls, you know, not to fall into. And they made a lot of, lot of progress together. I started to see them. Uh, I started to see Aaron putt better towards the end of last season. Uh, and then he made a decision to go back to uh, this long putter, uh, this, this, this broomstick, if you will. And um, a lot of people were surprised by it. They'd never seen him use it before, but uh, he did, he did use this putter in college. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, and matter of fact, he won in college at, at Oregon uh, with this long putter. So um, I think him going to that long putter, it was such a drastic change from what he's been doing for the last three years that it just sort of reset the system a little bit, sort of reset him mentally um, he started to build some confidence with it. And, um, I think the last few months he's putting, his putting has been unbelievable. So I think he's found something that kind of sets his mind at ease because with Aaron, it was all mental. Uh, the technique was sound. Steven did an incredible job of getting, you know, getting his, his technique cleaned up. And it was just some, some, some mental scar tissue in there mm-hmm. of, of putting poorly for basically the last, I mean, almost last two seasons, if you will. Wow. And hopefully I think he's put all that behind him and you're seeing those results, you know, you know, he's playing the way that Aaron should play. Yeah. Well, it was, it was the only missing piece really. I mean, you know, like you said, he's done some good work on his swing and, and you can see it. I mean, he's consistently in the positive off the tee. Um, I would say, you know, pretty darn consistent in the positive and approach consistent in the positive around the greens. I mean, you know, give or take one here or there, but he's, Strokes and T to green, Aaron Wise is is right there, you know. Yeah. And now you start seeing the ball go in the hole, and you start building some confidence, and you have no more scar tissue. All of a sudden, you're like, I don't have any weaknesses, you know. Like, you don't have any weaknesses out on the PGA Tour. There's not. Most players have a weakness, right? I mean, you know, when you look at them from a strokes gain standpoint, now their weakness is relative to their competition, <laughs> right? Not not to you and I out there trying to chip the ball with them and putt, but they have a, they have some kind of weakness that perhaps holds them back, right. To perhaps winning or a top 20 or the difference in missing the cut or not, whatever. And with Aaron, I mean, you see the trend he's at, he, he makes this a positive. I don't see any reason why he, he just wouldn't clip off a few more. I mean, 
because when you like, like, you know, when your confidence is up and you know, you don't have any weakness, like sky's the limit at that point in the game yeah, of golf. No question about it. Let's talk about Patrick Rogers. We'll stay in the pack 12 here. You went to Stanford. You've uh, yeah. You went to Stanford, right? Yeah. Yeah. He went to Stanford. He wasn't a duck. Rogers uh, looking for that first win, but knocking on the door here as of late. He was six at Fortnite, fourth at Bermuda. Pretty golf swing, right? You look at him, big guy, six two. Like you sit there and you can really watch this guy swing the club. I mean, he's just like it's just like this nice long, fluid swing. When you work with Patrick on the swing, what's right now? What are the one or two things you guys are working on and that you want to see him get better at? Yeah. So since I would say the end of last season, uh, the one thing that we've been keying on primarily is uh, taking some of the curve off the golf ball and, you know, long, you know, long story short, Patrick and I have worked together for over three years now and we pretty much overhauled his golf swing during that time. And I feel like from a, from a technique standpoint, um, his, his technique has been solidified for a couple of years now, but he had this, you know, ball flight pattern with a lot of right to left movement on the golf ball, uh, very in to out type of swing. Um, at times it, it caused him to, um, have too much volatility in his, his ball flight, um, really couldn't flight the ball very well. And I think it hurt his wedge play a lot. So, um, you know, that from a technique standpoint, that primarily comes from a little bit too much spine tilt, a little bit of excessive t- uh, right side, side bend in the downswing, uh, which kind of gets him underneath and swinging way out to the right. So we've worked hard on that a little bit in the off season and then heading into Napa. Um, it was probably the first week where he went out and said, I'm committed to hitting every shot straight or making it fall slightly to the right. And it was very noticeable with his ball flight. His trajectory came down, the curve came off the ball. And I started to see him hit some shots that week that I hadn't really seen in like three years from him. And uh, I think he went all in on it and he's comfortable. You know, when you, when you play pretty much a significant curve for a large portion of your life or career, you get used to aiming in certain places and looking at certain parts of the fairway and greens and there's sort of a recalibration that has to happen, you know, yeah. not only physically in your swing, but mentally how you're picturing the golf course and how you're picturing the shot. And I think he's really kind of these last few weeks, you know, last month or so kind of figured out what that looks like for him. And I, and I think he's playing a lot of confidence. So, I mean, the conditions in Bermuda were really tough uh, yeah. playing in a lot of wind. And yep. I think his old game where he just kind of hit the ball straight up in the air with a lot of draw on it. I don't think he could have played that well in those kind of conditions, you know, with his old ball flight. So, you know, his season last year wasn't the one that we, you know, hoped it would be. Uh, there was a lot of factors going on, you know, at that time, uh, you know, maybe even outside of the game of golf, you know, he became a father for the first time um, last January. So okay. uh, learning how to be a professional golfer with a, with a newborn at home is for a young player like him is, is not easy. So 29, uh, yes, 29 years old, I believe. So, um, I think he's managed that really, really well. Uh, he's figured out, you know, how his schedule is going to look and how to, you know, have time with the family and then also have time to, to work on your craft. And, 
Uh, I'm super excited about where he's at. He, he's playing the most stress-free golf that I've seen from him in the last three and a half years. So I'm super excited about his uh, potential this season. This overcurve of a draw, right? And for our audience, so, you know, Patrick's path working out to the right, he's got to start the ball right and then draw it back. If it, if it doesn't draw, then it's, it's on the right side of the cone. Right. And yeah. And if it overdraws now, all of a sudden he's, you know, created this miss on the left-hand side. So the cone is pretty big, right? So when you take the curve out now, all of a sudden that start line's tighter and there's less curve. So the, the misses, would you say have gotten tighter? Not only the trajectory's coming down because he's more on top of it. Um, but he's not curving it as much. So the cones tighter start lines are tighter. Would that be an accurate statement for the audience? Yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent accurate, but it goes even deeper than that. Um, okay. You know, as it relates to distance control, when you start curving the ball so much from right to left, the ball speeds up, the spin rates drop. So you get a lot more variability in how far your golf ball is going to go mm. from, you know, condition to condition. And so, distance control, especially with his mid to short irons was a, a, a glaring issue. It was the thing that in my opinion, separated him from the top 25 players in the world. I mean, Patrick is a Ferrari physically like speed, athleticism, super dynamic drives it. Incredible. hits it really far. Um, can hit long irons. Great and high, but you know, a nine iron from 155 yards is, is where he was weak. You know, a wedge from, you know, 115 yards is where it needed to improve. So I think not only did getting the curve off the ball bring his starting line and overall dispersion in, it made how far the golf ball was going to go a bit more predictable. That's good stuff there. Is that, I mean, that's just kind of in general, isn't it, Jeff? We're seeing less curve guys just pretty straight in general. I mean, it's, you know, it kind of starts yeah. here and like, you know, this way or this way or, you know, whatever, right. Dies, right. Dies left. We're seeing that cone really narrow and less of, of this. hundred percent. You're, you're seeing a generation of golfers show up on the PGA tour now that I've had a track man <laughs> since they were a junior golfer. Yeah. And so they have had years and years and years of face to path awareness and they instinctually know how to control the curve on the golf ball now. So was Rogers, was he like a little stubborn about it? It's like, no, nah, I'm going to keep curving it. And you're like, well, oh, dude, what do I got to do? I, <laughs> I wouldn't say stubborn. Um, you know, he, you, you're talking about someone who's had an incredible amount of success at golf. I mean, let's, let's not forget how decorated he was coming out of Stanford. He oh, did yeah. it all. He won yeah. every tournament there was to win number one amateur in the world, you know, just an incredible player. And so the thing that the biggest piece of growth that I have seen from him in three and a half years is not looking backwards. And I think that's really hard to do mm. when you had all the success players always want to look back and go, well, this is what I did when I played my best golf. Mm. And I think that's a dangerous game to try to chase what you did seven or eight years ago and trying to recreate that instead of like looking forward and saying, what's the new best version of myself or my game? You know, the technology is different. The ball's different. The clubs are different. You know, how do I work with these tools and manage this in a way that I can be the best version of myself? And I think he's done that. And uh, I think he's 
you know, well on his way to playing his best golf. So what if these three are like in the last group together? What the hell are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to be thinking, where the hell is Davis Riley? Why is he not <laughs> well, he, listen, well, that's a good segue. <laughs> Talk about this fourth player. Davis Riley from Alabama finished seventh on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, last year. Got his card first year. Um, let's see. He's played... Miscut the first two weeks, 56 at the Shriners, seventh at Bermuda. Educate my audience on who Davis Riley is. Kind of, what kind of person we looking at with Riley and what can we expect from the, from the rookie here into uh, 2022? Yeah. You know, first of all, personally, a super fun guy to be around. Um, funny, got a lot in common with him. Uh, I really enjoy working with him or being and being around him. He makes the work a lot easier. How long has it been with Davis? Um, so I want to say, gosh, we started in, so I think it's been about a year okay. last fall. Yeah. yeah. So okay. about a year, um, super talented, uh, yeah. obviously very decorated coming out of Alabama. Um, a very, very strong game uh, coming out of college needed to be a little bit more um, refined, I would say. Uh, he's another player with a, you know, that came to me with a pretty big right to left movement on the golf ball. And, mm-hmm. you know, s- similar to Patrick leading to a lot of blocks and hooks, you know, overdraws, especially with, you know, potentially longer clubs. And uh, we've had to make some smaller swing changes to, to sort of alleviate that and get a little, get a little straighter ball flight, but he still moves it a tiny bit right to left. So mm-hmm. very powerful player, you know, all these guys are, 180 ball speed. It seems like now with the driver. Um, but you know, for him, it was more just refinement, refinement in his short game, refinement in his putting, understanding how, um, he needs to practice creating some structure around his wedge play, you know, sort of a system for that. Um, and then it's just getting experience. I mean, every rookie on tour faces the same challenges going out and trying to figure out how to play these golf courses. Mm -hmm. They're so much different from, what you played in college and especially what you played on the corn Ferry tour. So um, my message to him is you don't need to change very much, you know, just because you're going up to the next level doesn't mean that you need to blow things up to, you know, try to be Roy McIlroy. You need to keep doing the things that you've done your whole career that have made you successful. And you need to chip away at these few key things. You got to put it better. You got to chip it better. And you obviously have to be more refined in your, in your wedge play and your decision-making on the course. And so uh, luckily for him, he's got a very experienced PG uh, caddy on tour that knows all these courses. So that's going to, you know, play into him being more comfortable out there. But I, I have huge expectations of him because I know what kind of talent he is. Yeah. He won. Let's um, see. Well, of course that corn Ferry tour season was like twice as long. <laughs> so you have to go back. He won San Antonio in 2020. And then he also, he had another win too. He won before that he won in Panama Yeah, and you know, other top fives, 10. I mean, so he, you know, obviously finished seventh on the corn Ferry tour. So got his card came out. How much you make a good point there. A rookie comes out PGA tour gets an experienced caddy. Who's seen these courses. I, that, that has to have a lot of value, right? To a, I understand my guy, my player, how he plays, 
okay, here's my thoughts on these holes and how we should play them going in. That's, that's, that's pretty priceless, isn't it? To have an experienced caddy first year. There's no question. I mean, not only having a caddy that, that understands how those courses are designed to be played, but also knowing the strengths of the player and, and where you can push small little marginal edges that you might have. Mm. Uh, You know, Davis is a great driver of the golf ball, much like Victor hits it long and straight. So you know, being a caddy that has that type of player is going to, is going to give you confidence to, to be very aggressive out there. Mm -hmm. So, um, but not only that, but, you know, an experienced caddy is also not afraid to say things to a, to a, a rookie player, like, you know, um, call, being able to calm them down in big situations when they can tell that they're rattled a little bit, or when the player just needs to vent and let letting them go, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, handling the crowd, I mean, there's just so much that goes into a role of a good caddy and, you know, uh, Davis is lucky to have a good one. So Davis is six foot, 175 pounds. Is he, you know, he's hitting it out there. I'm looking right now. I mean, gosh, he's, you know, he's three Oh five this year off the tee, which, you know, that's, he's probably a little even a little longer than that. that. I would, huh? I mean, that's, you know, those stats are just only a handful of events. I think those are right. for through two or three events for him, but yeah. you know, he's 120 mile an hour club head speed, 108 okay. low one, one eighties ball speed with a driver. Um, he's probably in the top, I don't know, 30 or 30 longest guys on the PGA tour. So wow, he's got, he's got a lot of speed. That's awesome. Well, you heard it here first folks, Stripe Show podcast, Davis Riley. We've had, let's see. Of the 25, we've had 11 on the podcast to this point, introducing the top 25 to the world. And Davis Riley has not been on. So I'm going to reach out to him, put a little bug in his ear, will you? And tell him that we need him to, we need him to come on here. He's, I would imagine he's going to play the next two weeks also, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if he's in Houston, uh, on okay. his status, but, um, if he is, he's definitely playing. I know he's playing sea Island. He'll play sea Island. Yeah. Jeff, you're the best man. This has been fun breaking down these four. You got some horses in the race here this week and they're all playing good golf, right? Coming in. So go pour yourself a glass of wine and, and just take the rest <laughs> of the night off. <laughs> all right, buddy. I appreciate having me. All right, Jeff Smith. We appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow with Samantha. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest gold-rated Elixir and low-compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.